So uh, Jordan, a young man that I met, was uh, 22 years old, a college student, and I met him in this small group uh, like 25 years ago, 24 years ago. And his dad actually made him go to this small group. He was living at home, and his dad said, if you want to live at home, you have to go to this church thing with me. Uh, And so Jordan went because he didn't want to have to get a job and pay for his rent. Um, But this this small group we were uh, a part of was uh, basically, it was a non-threatening introduction to Christianity. So the entire point of this small group was to give people an opportunity to learn about the Christian faith and be able to ask questions. And so he went, uh, but again, he was forced to go. uh, And he was a total atheist, uh, not an agnostic. And the difference between an agnostic and an atheist is an agnostic is someone who says, I don't know whether or not there's a God. And an atheist is like, I am convinced for sure there is no God. He was an atheist. And he would sit in this uh, group, and he was very non-compliant. Um, body language communicates pretty clearly sometimes, right? Husbands, right? And he would sit in this group, and he would pull his chair very far back, and he would fold his hands, and he would just, just kind of like be like, I'm not really wanting to be here, and I want you all to know that I don't want to be here. You know, and we're like, you know, trying to be chipper and... And, uh, but by week three, it was interesting because by week three, he was just engaged in arguing and sharing every question that he had. Um, and he would say things like, you know, when, when we would talk about a certain Christian belief, he'd be like, that's absolutely crazy. And they would launch in on some reason why he thought it was crazy. But week after week, as his questions and his objections to Christianity were answered, uh, he became more and more open over the course of that small group to the possibility of the existence of God. And it was really interesting because week after week, he, he had a, a new objection, though, to Jesus. And week after week, he would have to bring another one. Um, you know, and, and that got me thinking a lot about how people have a lot of different reasons for objecting to Christianity. Maybe you have a, a specific reason as to why you are not yet convinced about the the truth in the story of Jesus. And so a lot of people have these objections, they reject Jesus, or, you know, maybe they're just super skeptical. There's a lot of people out there that are just skeptical about Christianity. I've been thinking about a lot of these different reasons. And I hear a lot of them oftentimes, you know, there's a lot of people out there that think that the Bible can't be trusted. You know, the Bible is just a bunch of fairy tales and myths. And how do we know that we can trust the Bible? You know, and there's all these different theories about that. Uh, some people believe that science has disproven Christianity. Um, others would say that the church has done so much evil over the past 2,000 years that it basically makes our beliefs moot. Um, there's a lot of people that, that say that. And if you're honest, if you're a follower of Jesus, we have to take that critique seriously because the Crusades were not beautiful, were they? Or, you know, there's a lot of examples where abuse is covered up within the church and things like that. Um, And then, you know, there's other people who would say things like, well, there's no evidence for Jesus' resurrection. How do we know that Jesus was raised from the dead? And because there's no evidence, I I choose to not believe it. Um, Or, as I've said many times here, that one of the most common objections that I hear from people is, how can there be a loving God who allows so much suffering and evil in the world? And that's a real question. 
Now, I don't think God has called every follower of Jesus to be a Bible scholar or a trained theologian. I really don't believe that. Um, I don't think that everybody in this room should be able to answer every single question out there uh, because that would be almost impossible, right? But I do think that we often use that reality as an excuse to maybe not dig deeper or to maybe uh, avoid engaging in what I would call the life of the mind. You know, we, we have... Maybe um, we feel insecure about some of those questions. Or if you've ever have a conversation with somebody like, you know, you have an uncle or a cousin who's like militantly opposed to your faith and you're just trying to eat your turkey dinner. And, uh, and they're like going in on you and you're like, just pass the gravy and shut up. You know, anybody ever? <laughs> no. All right. But, but here's the thing. Thinking, the use of our minds is a crucial part of following Jesus. Okay? And, and I think that we need to really see the value of that. In fact, Jesus talks about this. In fact, he was asked one time, what's the greatest commandment? And you know what he said? He said that he replied, he said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, right? All your mind. And he says, this is the first and the greatest commandment. And then right after that, he says, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. But the point is, is that we, we, we oftentimes avoid the life of the mind for a lot of different reasons. A lot of different reasons. It's, it's weird. Um, I recently turned 45, and that's the first birthday where I was like, uh-oh. You know, because I swear, when I turned 40, I always said my eyes didn't work. Okay, I was like, and I went to the optometrist, and he's like, well, it's that time. I'm going to give you a prescription for readers. And I was like, blasphemy. And like, I still haven't bought them. Like, I refuse to do it, you know, even though I can't see anything close. But, uh, but 45 felt like, because I, I felt myself saying things like, I remember when I was younger. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, before 45, I couldn't relate to that. I'd, I'd hear old people talk, and I'd be like, I can't. I'm still young. You know, like I got a lot of life in me. And now I'm like, I'm like, where's that walker at? I swear it's close. Yeah, I need, I ran, borrow yours, Randall. I'm, it's like my, my body just switched off. And, uh, but one of the things that I, I've observed is that I find myself thinking back now to the last 30 years and these radical shifts that have happened in culture and society. And some of them are good. There's, you know, progress can be a good thing. But then there's also some parts of the progress we've made that are actually negative or harmful to us. I mean, we can, I think the, the fact that we have these devices now that allow us to connect with anybody anywhere in the world is really cool. Like I can talk to my friends in Kenya or in, in Mexico or other countries. But isn't it interesting that we live in a more connected world, but we're more disconnected than ever before, Right. And so unfortunately, one of the major challenges, I think, in today's cultural context is what I can only describe the dumbing down of society. And I think that dumbing down is both intentional, and I think it's also a byproduct of so many different things that it would be impossible for us to, to acknowledge every one of them. But I mean, just as a couple of things to get us thinking, because thinking is a good thing, amen? Can we all agree? Like the last thing you should say at church is, well, that gave us something to think about as if you shouldn't be thinking, right? But I mean, look at the U.S. education statistics that are falling behind the rest of the world. I mean, that's, that's happening. That's just a statistic you can look up. And, 
And I, I thought about this, and I just want to say right now that we, I'm really grateful. There's a lot of teachers that go to our church, and it's totally your fault. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's not, and I'm very grateful for our teachers, amen? I mean, amen? Yeah, teachers are amazing. And, and yet, they're, they're teaching in a system and in a structure that's almost making it impossible for them to make certain differences in, in some areas. And so I pray for them often. But uh, as evidence of this dumbing down, we have this, the U.S. educational system is, in, is, is decreasing. Our statistics are, we're falling behind quickly. Uh, I, we also know that social media is having a radical impact on the intellectual and the emotional stability of society at large, especially amongst young people, though. Uh, I think it's interesting that when you talk to people in today's cultural context, you also find out that education is often no longer looked at a means of improving life. It's like we, we celebrate being naive. I mean, it's true. We, we celebrate being deplorables or, or uninformed. And I just, it's like, oh, I don't, I don't know about that. That's, that's scary to me. Also, I think critical thinking Critical thinking is no longer reinforced or valued in a lot of, our, a lot of areas of our society. And my point is, is that we have become more and more controlled by emotions and impulses and less by disciplined ability to reflect on what's right and wrong and whether something is true. Okay, So, so we, we do have a cultural context that is setting us up for some challenges. That's kind of my point. And so today we're starting a sermon series that's going to last for two months, March and April. We're going to take a break on Easter Sunday um, from the series, but we're going to be spending this entire time on this sermon series that we're calling Reasonable Faith. And it's somewhat of a play on words in, in some ways, because I think that many well-meaning people, people in this room even, um, would think that the word faith has to be some sort of unreasonable blind faith. And we talk about faith as if it's more spiritual just to believe and to not let your thinking get in the way of your faith. And, and I think that is, that is actually a dangerous perspective. So today what I want to do is I want to kind of set the table a bit to get us thinking. To get us thinking a bit about this area of our faith. And, and I want to be really clear here. I'm a little, a little uh, concerned that... I don't want anybody in this room to feel like they're required to know the answers to everything because that's impossible. Um, I don't know the answers for anything. <laughs> Most of the time, like, I have no idea, but I, I have a book. Um, it's challenging sometimes to wrestle with all the different things that are going on. But what I do want to say is this, is that following Jesus is a learning enterprise, and it's about growing, and it's about studying, and it's about um, us getting to know more about who Jesus is and more experience of his presence and power. And I don't know if you know this, but did you know that our faith has a book? We have a book. We have a book. And we live in a, in a place and time right now where you can, you can listen to it as you're driving. There's a lot of different creative ways that we can get involved in that. But something that's really unique to Christianity in comparison to other religions, and again, I just want to set the table for us a little bit today, but there's something that's really unique about, about our faith when compared to other religions, and it's this. Christianity has always appealed to historical evidence to support its truth claims. 
always. Whereas other religions, when you're contrasting Christianity with other religions, um, when we do that, we see that we see that other religions actually appeal to subjective feelings despite the evidence. And I want to give you two examples today, and I want to be really clear. The two examples that I want to give are not at all to suggest that the people who hold these beliefs are not sincere. I believe many of them are. And it's not at all to say that we're better than them because we are not. Okay? I mean, the only reason why anybody in this room has any ability to, uh, to claim uh, truth and to, and, to, and to like say that we've discovered it is because of the grace of God. Amen? So I want to just say that. But there's two examples I want to give. And the first one is Islam. Muslims tell us to follow Islam. If you study Islamic theology, uh, Muslims tell us to follow Islam because only God could have written the Quran, their holy book. That's, that's their uh, suggestion and their appeal. And I've had many conversations with friends who are Islamic. And in other words, what they'll say is that the Quran is such a wonderful and beautiful text that it must have come from God. And there's a number of, uh, of citations there that you can read. Um, another example of this for us that maybe hits a little bit closer to home is Mormonism. According to Mormons, if you read the Book of Mormon with an open mind and ask God to show you if it's true, he will confirm it. And it sounds, it sounds really good, but the data, the problem is the data from archaeology or all the historical problems relating to the Book of Mormon that pose serious challenges uh, to the validity of the Mormon faith are meaningless, though, because the well-intentioned Mormon interprets and bases their confidence on their religion on the testimony of the Holy Spirit. And it sounds good, but it's not testable. It's a purely subjective feeling. So we can't evaluate those truth claims because Mormons will tell us that the Holy Spirit has to help us to ignore the evidence, especially. And that's a problem. And so again, most world religions appeal to subjective feelings. Does that make sense to you? Like if it's just, it's just about the subjective feeling. You just have to feel it in your, in your core. And, and that sounds real similar to a lot of the things that we say in the church, though. That's my, my main concern. But those world religions ask their followers to ignore the historical and archaeological evidence. That's generally the major difference. But here's what you need to understand. Christianity appeals to the evidence and says, hey, you should really look into whether or not it is reasonable to believe that Jesus is alive. That's the main difference. Compared to Islam or Mormonism, Christianity is different in that it invites the skeptic to examine the evidence. Let me say that again. And this is the, this is the point that I want us to walk away from this gathering today is Christianity is different in that it invites the skeptic to examine the evidence. We shouldn't be afraid of it. And that's the main difference. And Jesus either essentially rose from the dead, Jesus either rose from the dead confirming his claims to divinity, or he was a fake. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if Christ did not raise from the dead, our faith is futile. It is a waste of time. And that's why Paul appeals to the evidence in 1 Corinthians 15, which we'll look at later when we lean into the resurrection. But Gary Habermas, who's a New Testament theologian, he puts it this way. He says that such a historical test of truth is unique to Christianity. Again, in comparison to all other world religions, 
He says, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, he was a false prophet and a charlatan whom no rational person should follow. Conversely, if he did rise from the dead, this event confirmed his radical claim. Years ago, C.S. Lewis made a similar claim when he talked about Jesus is either, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. A liar, a lunatic, or Lord. So here's my point. Christians should not be afraid of big questions or tough topics or embarrassed by the Bible. Let me say that again. I don't think Christians, followers of Jesus, should be afraid of big questions or tough topics or be embarrassed by the Bible. We should. If, if, we're, if we're doing this, I think, faithfully to Jesus and we're being thoughtful, we should invite skeptics to examine our truth claims. But notice, though, and this is one thing that I, this is the tension here between world religions and Christianity. Notice that this invitation for us to examine the evidence does not negate the inward assurance that comes from the Holy Spirit. It substantiates it. The Holy Spirit confirms what we observe and see when we study Scripture. That's, that's the way that it was designed. So here's, here's kind of the, the way I've been thinking about this, is that we shouldn't be afraid of questions. And i got to tell you, for a lot of my faith, that was one of the vibes I got when I was growing up as a kid. It was like if I asked questions about science or dinosaurs or you know, um, any, any miraculous supernatural things that I thought were a little weird, I would get this, this vibe of like, well, you shouldn't ask that question because the fact that you're asking that question demeans the truth. And that is not at all what the Bible teaches. We should be willing to ask questions. In fact, as we talked about earlier with the Psalms, you see the psalmists, this is the reason why I love the Psalms, the psalmists are constantly wrestling with the world that they live in. Because their lived experience often felt like they were alone. And so they would talk about that. And that's the thing. You, I feel like a lot of times the church has, has basically said, listen, you can think it, but don't say it out loud. Okay? And I don't know if you know this, but God actually knows what you're thinking. It's like, it's like you can't get around him. It's not like, if I don't say it out loud, God won't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, we can wrestle we can wrestle with these questions. And so we should, we should not be afraid. Don't be afraid of questions. Now, I think that there's, there's helpful ways to interact with those questions, which we'll talk about. But for the next two months, we are going to wrestle with questions, the, the questions of skeptics. We're going to uh, look at the, the objections of critics. We're going to look at tough topics related to Christianity. Um, and I really have two goals for this sermon series. There's two goals over the course of the next two months. First, I hope that if you're a believer, I hope that believers will be encouraged to know that their faith is not unreasonable or based on fairy tales, um, but you, you can trust God, you can trust Scripture, and that you will have a higher value for thinking as a part of the Christian way of life. That's my first goal. And the second goal I have is that I'm hoping that unbelievers who may be in this room uh, they may be people who listen to these sermons. Um, they may be people that you have a conversation with in the future. I'm, I'm praying and hoping that they will take time to consider the ideas that we're wrestling with over the course of these two months. Um, in fact, not only should we not be afraid of questions, okay? We shouldn't be afraid of those questions. We should encourage questions and be ready to wrestle alongside other people as they are trying to find the answers. 
This is what Peter says. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 through 16, Peter writes these words. He says, Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for, what is, what is, for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Can we, can we say that one more time? Listen to what he, he tells the, the church in Rome. He says, and if someone asks about your hope as a believer, any believers in the room have some hope? All right, just checking. It's good to hear five of you are here. He says, and if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. If you use Facebook, please know that that applies. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. And so here's here's what we see in this passage, if we're trying to just summarize what Peter's getting at. Uh, We see him first saying, don't be afraid to suffer. Peter says uh, several times that if you suffer for doing what is good, God will reward you, okay? He also says, if you suffer for being an idiot, don't be mad. You can read it. He's like, it's so funny. It's like, you can't always claim to be suffering if you're doing dumb things, okay? I'm just saying the Bible's awesome, okay? Like, like, oh man, you know, we blame everything. Oh, the enemy's out to get me. No, you're just a moron. You spent too much money and you're going to reap the consequence of that, okay? I didn't say that. I mean, I, was, I heard that. So don't be afraid to suffer, okay? But he says, don't be afraid to suffer. If you're actually suffering for legitimate reasons, if you're, if you're doing good, if you're being a kingdom person and you suffer, God will reward you. And then he says, be ready to explain and defend your Christian faith. And, and it is defend. The, the Greek word there is a, a combination of both explaining and defend. It's like, it's, like it's, it's not just defensive. It's also being willing to engage. It's kind of a, an interesting way to think about it. But I, I just want the point for us to get is that it's like we should be able to have a conversation. And, and yeah, when somebody asks us questions, we should be willing to talk about it. But then this is important. He says, be gentle and respectful. And then I love this, live in a way that honors Christ. Live in a way that honors Christ. So this is our, this is our foundation for this sermon series is right here. This is, the, this is the reason why we're going to lean into this a little bit. Because I think we need to be stimulated to engage in the life of the mind a little bit. Like our church community, we are what you would call charismatic I always, when people ask me that, I'm like, I am charismatic, but I also wanted to find that term. But what we believe in the vineyard is that, that God created our emotions and, and that he speaks to us um, through our emotions and that our feelings are, are good. They're not necessarily evil. There's some church traditions that it's like, feelings bad. It's all about intellectual thinking. And what we want to say in the vineyard is, when people ask that question, is that should we be emotional worshipers or should we be thoughtful worshipers the vineyard folks are going to be like yes <laughs> that's our answer right uh, because we all know that thinking can be bad sometimes we don't think very 
logically or consistently, or we, that's a, a life or a battlefield for the enemy to work, our minds, can we all agree? And then we all know that our emotions can also be extremely misguided. Think back to junior high. Right? I'm going to marry that girl. Oh, man, I love her. I'll die for her. I'm going to get her name tattooed on my neck. You know? So we're going to spend the next two months wrestling with some of these tough questions. We're going to learn how to answer some of these really big questions. Really big questions. You know, and we have a few of them there for you to think about. But, I mean, these are questions that, that people ask me all the time. It's funny, I was talking to our youth leaders, and I wanted to give a big plug for our youth leaders. They are amazing, okay? And, and, they, and they were talking about how, I think it was last week or the week before, somebody asked them, they were having this like time, like, ask any questions you want. And somebody was like, well, what about dinosaurs in creation? And, um, and that's a good question. It's a good question. Like, how do we understand, you know, the book of Genesis and all of the, the passages of Scripture that talk about origins and the creation of the world and in and, and, and light of, of all these different scientists, many of whom are Christians, that tell us that, that they observe uh, certain patterns and ways of, of, of the world existing and coming into existence. What do we do with that? And so I think that's a good question, and it's not helpful. What we need to realize is it's not helpful to ignore those questions, okay? Like you might, maybe you can get by and you just, you know, you just like, oh, I just pretend it's not there, it's not there, feel good, pray every day, drink my cup of coffee, look at that tattoo on my neck and think, boy, I made a mistake. <laughs> Whatever, I don't know what you do, but, but here's the thing, <laughs> there's, people, there's people around us some who are believers and some who are not, who are wrestling with these questions. And, 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 I, and, and there's all this deconstruction that's happening in the church. And some of it, it's, it's good. We need to deconstruct some of the things that have been built up in the name of Christ that are tearing down the name of Christ. But we also need to realize that some of the big questions that people have are legitimate questions. And, and we have this book that actually helps us to wrestle through some of them and and that there is a, a right way to interpret Scripture, and then there are also harmful ways to interpret the Bible. So we're going to talk about those things, okay? But here's my point. Again, the big idea this morning that I want everybody to walk away with is this. Christianity is different from other world religions because it invites the skeptic to examine the evidence. That is a mark. That is, I, I took a world religion's course at a secular university. And that was one of the things that my professor, who wasn't a Christian, he, he said that's the big thing about Christianity is the truth claim that they appeal to is the empty tomb. The empty tomb. So back to this 22-year-old college student named Jordan. So what happened is I think I was about 24, 25. So we were pretty close in age. And I'm going to this, this uh, this small group, and I got asked by my pastor at the time, he said, hey, I want you to go to this small group with, with me, and I want you and Don to be the helper. And I was like, well, what does that mean? He's like, basically, I'll just ask questions, and I won't answer any of them, and then you get to answer them and look like the jerk. I was like, sign me up. I, I will kill it. 
And uh, so I, he'd ask these questions, and our pastor, he was, he was one of my favorite pastors all of my life. He was, so, he was so good. He just posed that question, and it never took any of, I mean, when Jordan would go in hard, he'd go in so hard, he would just be like, that's a great observation. He would just listen, and um, Jordan would keep going, and I'd be like, no, in the Greek New Testament, we know, you know, and I was just like, you know, being a dork. And, and so Jordan and I, I think it was like week six or seven, we're like talking. And, and you got to understand about me. I grew up, my mom, who will probably listen to this and I will get a phone call. Hi, mom. She was like a homeschool mom. Like she homeschooled a lot of like my sisters. She tried to homeschool me one year and after a year was like, no, you're going to school. Uh, it's, this is not good. And I went to school and, but my mom was like, she, she was not a Christian, became a Christian when she was like 19 years old and was like, I am going to protect my son from all the evil of the world. So like she was, I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to do anything. Like I talked to a girl once when I was 15 on the phone and she was like, did you get her pregnant? I was like, no, I didn't. Like, what do you, my mom was just wild and she was so protective. And I was so like, but I was like real rebellious. And I was like, I'll talk to a girl if I want to, you know, like, and so anyway. So I didn't have video games. Just move on. I didn't have video games. I, I, I wasn't allowed to play video games because like Nintendo was a gateway to Satan. And Super Mario in, in some hidden language actually meant Bazelbibub or something, you know, it was like the devil. And, and I was like, and so I was talking to Jordan. He's like, he's like, yeah, well, do you play video games? And I was like, no, but I'm 22 or three now. I think I can do it. And, uh, and he's like, hey, man, I just got so this thing called the Xbox had just come out. This is a long time ago because I know all of you have like 18 of them in your house. But he's like, I got this Xbox with this game called Halo. He's like, would you want to check it out? And I was like, I'm in. So, you know, we had, again, he'd been going to this small group for like five or six weeks. We had been, you know, he'd been just going in hard, telling us how we're all dumb and idiots and we believe stupid things and fairy tales. And then we go and we're playing video games, and I, I'm not kidding. We like we went in, and then 18 hours later, I came out, and I was like, I was like a changed person. I was like, I've, I've like seen the light. <laughs> video games are amazing, and uh, and but we formed this relationship where we started like hanging out, you know, and so every week on Sunday nights, he would go to the small group. We would have these big conversations. He would ask all these questions. We would do our best to answer all these questions, and then he and I would hang out all week playing video games, just playing video games and drinking Mountain Dew so we can keep on playing Mount, uh, video games. It was like nonstop. And here's the thing. Over time, as this small group kept going, he starts softening more and more to the truth claims that we're making about Jesus. And um, one day we were, we were playing video games and we got done and we jumped in the car and we were going to go get something to eat and we were driving and I'll never forget it because we were, we were getting, we were getting onto a highway and on the on-ramp, he like pulls over, he stops the car and he just looked at me and he's like, listen, I've been listening. I've been hearing. I think I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. And I just was like, what? Like, really? You know, I was like so pumped up and I was like, I was like, I debated him into the kingdom. Yeah, but that's actually not what happened. 
This is, this is what happened. <laughs> Stop laughing. This is a very serious, right? Here's what happened. It was the combination. Listen to me here. It was the combination of answers and explanations alongside relationship that created the context for him to make a decision to follow Jesus. Okay? That's, that's the truth. And, and, and I just want you to know that what we're leaning into here for two months, I, I'm well aware that this is somewhat of a challenge. We're going to be talking about thoughtful things, okay? I, I'm aware of that, and I'm going to work really hard, and I'm going to try hard to make these things accessible. Um, but we're going to dive into the deep end of the pool a little bit, okay? It's good for you, right? Yeah, you can do it. Um, and I, and I understand that intellectual engagement is not for everybody. Like, not everybody in here is going to get into these large debates with the new atheists and talk about worldviews and ideologies and textual criticism. I get it, okay? Um, that's okay. What I really want you to know is that you have a reasonable faith. There are resources for you to pull from. I've got lots of books that would be helpful for you. Uh, because I want, to, and I want to say it's one of the ways, because here's another way. You want to know how you can lead someone to Jesus real quick? Is if they're suffering from something and you pray for them and they get miraculously healed, I bet you don't have to have a debate with them. Amen? And so that's why I say it's the combination. It's the combination of the life of the mind. It's the combination of friendship evangelism. It's the combination of servant evangelism. It's the combination of people experiencing the power and presence and miraculous supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. It's all of those things. And I'm totally cool with however God wants to do his work in people's lives. I just want to be able to pull out tools from my toolbox depending on whatever situation I'm in. Let's stand up. I'm just going to close this in prayer quick. <clears throat> I just want to go on record as I was not, con- I was not um, saying you should get a neck, neck tattoo, so I don't want to get any emails. Right? <laughs> Sean, you can, but no one else. All right. So, hey, I want to pray. So, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your work and your presence in this room right now. We're grateful for truth. Lord, I I pray now for, though I believe with all of my heart that the truth claims that we make are historically accurate and are true, are real, are, are, are things that we can, we can rest our, our beliefs in. Lord, I pray that you would help keep us humble. Lord, it, this, we don't say these things arrogantly, Lord, because like one person said, we are simply beggars who are telling other people where we found bread. And so thank you for your grace. And so I pray, Lord, that we would not fall into the fallacy that if we can win arguments, we can convert hearts. Lord, help us to to avoid that, that lie and that harmful thinking like the plague. But Lord, I do pray that we would see that some of these conversations that we are going to have with people are going to be opportunities for your spirit to 
awaken people's hearts to the truth and that seeds will be planted. And so help us to be healthy disciples. Help us to be people who, who value, Lord, the way that you've created us as human beings who have feelings and have thoughts. And we also have bodies that, that are active and engaged. So help us to be holistic followers of Jesus who are, who are thoughtful, who feel deeply your truths and who live these truths out. And I pray that your grace would go with everybody in this room and that you would help everybody in this room to, to make a difference in the world that we live in. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.